listening to Phenomenology Club Radio. Hello and thank you for listening to this audio podcast. I am Buttress, the host of Phenomenology Club, which is an interactive online community of artists and thinkers centered around this content that I create and curate online for us to talk about which is why both our tagline for Phenomenology Club and the subtitle for this discussion series is Talk About It. Most of these uploads are originally streamed live on our YouTube page. If you're interested in interacting with those as they happen live, please go subscribe and turn on the notifications at youtube.com slash phenomenology club. And in general, to learn more about our club, what we do, and how you can become a member for only $1 a month, please visit our website at www.phenomenology.club. Thank you for listening. Stay trippy. Hello, and welcome back to Talk About It, the official podcast series of Phenomenology Club. It's funny, maybe ironic, that just yesterday I said that I, I should upload with less frequency, even though I've been uploading with less frequency. Too, too less too much less (laughs) too little frequency recently i said that i should upload between every five and seven days or something because this helps cultivate a stronger audience viewership this is my anecdotal experience but fuck it i'm back already because i was listening just now to yesterday's upload and thinking and having some thoughts and i felt as if i had somewhat of an epiphany We need to talk about it. Oh, Maxwell, good. You were here yesterday. You can talk with me about this because you were you were witness to yesterday's arguments. And I promise that today will not be some feminist diatribe. It has nothing to do with feminism, even though that's what I spent the majority of yesterday's discussion talking about as it relates to cancel culture. And I have an addendum to make to my arguments about cancel culture, because as I was sitting here listening to yesterday's arguments, because I'm somebody who likes to interrogate my own arguments, I was thinking, bitch, because that's what I call myself in my own head. Bitch, what are you arguing? What are you getting at? What is the root of the problem? I'm somebody who must interrogate my own worldview over and over because one of my deepest held fears is being some sort of hypocrite. And not even just being a hypocrite, but being somebody who doesn't, totally grasp my own arguments, which I perceive a lot of people to do, especially a lot of people in this sort of sphere that I occupy, these people on YouTube and Spotify, these people with podcasts, which I guess I have now. I am a podcaster to a certain degree. Ew, nasty. But you know, a lot of these people just make these sort of superficial novel insights, especially as they relate to politics. You sort of latch on to what you want to hear and you become satisfied in that community. This community that reinforces your own worldview over and over, no matter how superficial, how boring, how whatever. And especially as it relates to this argument, you know, talking about cancel culture and free speech, absolutism and all these things, I feel like a lot of what I've been seeing on one side of the argument, this argument that thinks uh, this railing against the thing we're calling cancel culture. I hate saying cancel culture. It's so cringe, quote unquote, but cringe, quote unquote, is cringe in and of itself in a certain sense. I don't like either of these phrases. God damn it. Fuck it. 
the thing that I'm seeing a lot of people say is that, you know, it doesn't matter because uh, because these people on the other side of things, these free speech absolutists such as Noam Chomsky and other signees of this Harper's letter, that became this thing that I think kind of launched this conversation into a new plateau because this conversation is always being had. But this Harper's letter is the thing that has a lot of people talking still now. I mean, myself, obviously, I'm still talking about this thing that came out like a week ago. I'm still thinking about this ideas and I sat and I'm feeling really pleased with myself because my brothers my sisters I've just made a chart and this is the first chart that I have made since quitting not quitting since taking a break from amphetamine <laughs> maybe a break forever I don't know yet probably not the first chart made without amphetamine I'm so proud of myself can I get some applause for myself give me some clapping emojis or something I'm so proud of myself right now, and I'm also feeling like shit, which also makes me proud of myself because part of my uh, problem with amphetamines and stimulants in general is that I feel as if I can only work when I'm feeling this sort of geeked out euphoria, and I'm now starting to work even when I feel like shit. I didn't get a full night's sleep. I feel gross i feel tired i feel like shit but i just made a chart and i'm here and we're here to talk about it thank you thank you so much i'm very proud of myself so i've made a chart okay because i wanted to think about like what is being argued you know i said in yesterday's upload and i think i said in the noam chomsky thing as well that i am a free speech absolutist i consider myself this thing um and this is the this is the the stance that I kind of argue for in a way that does oppose the quote-unquote pro-cancel culture, I guess you could call it, arguments. And I'm like, well, what is the difference between these two competing ideologies, you know, to look at the Harper's letter? What exactly is being said and what exactly is being identified as the problem? And so I made a chart. And for those of you listening on Spotify, sorry, because I'm going to make the chart visible on this YouTube upload. If you guys would please look at it with me, I'll try my best to explain it for anybody who doesn't have the visual aid. But I'll also... I'll also post it to my Twitter and to my website, www.phenomenology.club. I love charts. Maxwell asked yesterday about, like, ways to work and if I could do an upload about ways to work, and I would love to do that. And one of the ways I like to work when it comes to philosophy is making charts. You have to map out arguments to see where they're weak where they're lacking, where they can be improved upon, and where they're wrong altogether. And I feel as if I've had somewhat of an epiphany in making this chart. So let me pull it up. Okay. Please direct your attention to this chart. I'm making it bigger for myself. So I was thinking, like, what am I arguing? Because I was thinking about this yesterday, what I said, and I don't even feel as if I internalized the belief myself when I said it. By the way, I know I'm all over the place. I'm still learning how to speak more coherently without stimulants. Um, but, but <laughs> something that I do too uh, with this channel is just work and work through arguments in real time. Because, you know, ideally I would sit and write a fucking book. And maybe if I die, people will read it and great. But 
that's not really the way things work now anymore and I'm not sure I'll ever write the book so you know in case in case these ideas help anybody I just have to put them out in the now because also I'll just sit even if I don't die and start writing the book and never finish it and it'll never come out so here we go maybe this will be useful to somebody here's the chart can you see the chart okay so I'm thinking what exactly is the difference between these opposing ideologies this cancel culture thing and this free speech absolutist stance one that I sort of maintain within myself what are the qualities of each am I dying I mean I hope not no I don't think so I'm not actively dying though I guess technically you could say we're all dying I don't fucking know but I'm I don't know People get hit by cars and stuff. People die of aneurysms in their sleep, which is how I predict, by the way, I will die. Let it be known. If I die from an aneurysm in my sleep, I predicted it. And you can be like, ooh, it's spooky. She said it. And then it happened. So there you go. But okay, so let's talk about these competing ideologies. What are the differences between each? This sort of um, pro-cancel <laughs> culture, which I don't even think you could call these people pro-cancel culture. They're more just accepting of this culture that we're in and think people who speak against it are basically just uh, sea lioning, <laughs> to use internet speak, or just being disingenuous and really masking their true intentions which is to be able to be openly racist sexist homophobic whatever and they don't want to be called into question or under criticism for this right this is the stance a lot of people maintain and why they're critical of this harper's letter and noam chomsky for signing it because they think that these people are just you know making excuses for being bigots and being held accountable and that really what they're arguing for is what's all Already, what already exists and I think that this is kind of true this is a true criticism which you could see from this chart I have made what are the qualities of this cancel culture and also the qualities of the stance advocated for by free speech absolutists both of these groups of people I would say are campaigning for something that maintains the democratic ideal this hyper individualistic liberal stance where everybody has has the right to speak their mind right and we talked about this yesterday how really one of the things I think we're witnessing is not some sort of like cultural consensus in the sense that I don't think people are willfully like or not even willfully unconsciously being some sort of puritans or going giving into some sort of mob mentality i think what we are witnessing is a very new format the birth of an entirely new format manifest from social media that is incredibly liberal it is probably the most liberal venue of social discourse to ever exist where now even your fucking dad and your grandma have a platform with which they can build an audience no matter how small or how large never has there existed ever such a democratic set of conditions at least in the western world the anglosphere right now where so many most people i believe now have the internet and probably most people have social media i'm not sure the statistics on this but i believe most people in the anglosphere now possess the internet with which you can access social media so this is the thing that both parties, I think, are fighting for. This preservation of the democratic ideal. 
the idea that everybody has the right to speak their mind, right? It's incredibly democratic and it's incredibly individualistic. And then the stance of the people who maintain this sort of cancel culture, pro-cancel culture attitude or whatever, they're saying that what we are witnessing is just a natural consequence of this new democracy, you know, where people who have the most agreeable takes, this take becomes essentially the moral good. It becomes the take that everybody rallies behind, you know? And that works, like we talked about yesterday, for, for certain discourse, you know? I, because I think it's true that when it comes to certain topics, the narratives that have become the most popular narratives and the ones that have become the moral good are things that are ideologically satisfactory and that we can agree with. But what is the justification for this sort of a format, for taking on this sort of approach, this in incredibly democratic approach? I find it a little hypocritical and ironic that a lot of the people who are pro this sort of a culture that we're witness to, this incredibly democratic and liberal culture, are also simultaneously sort of illiberal and anti-democracy a stance that i kind of align myself with because i don't think that democracy really works for politics right because demo under democracy the majority always rules right whatever the most amount of people are saying this ultimately becomes the truth and the standard of truth or even if not the standard of truth the standard of action whatever the majority desires is what we pursue and we know from observable reality that this kind of approach is really inadequate to a thing like American politics where we have a minority population of people th whose needs and desires are not represented in our political spheres and our economic spheres to speak of black people especially in America you know these people who have this incredibly incredible history of human slavery in America and now under are underrepresented in our democracy and cannot gain a voice or struggle to gain a voice because they are literally the minority. They don't have enough representation on a literal material level. There are less people that can represent their viewpoints, their desires, their needs. So we know for a fact that democracy doesn't really work on a political level because the voices of the minority become drowned out you know so if you are going to be pro this format pro this culture pro democracy and pro liberalism pro hyper individualism then you must concede that you think it is good that the majority rules, and this is what we're witnessing because of things like social media. The takes that, be, that have the most movement behind them are the takes that become the take, the narrative, which works for many takes and I think doesn't work for other takes. You know what I'm saying? So is this satisfactory? No. Is it satisfactory from a political level? No, this doesn't work. Is it satisfactory for establishing any sort of useful ideological criteria with which to make arguments? Absolutely not. And neither is the stance of the free speech absolutist, which is giving me pause and why I feel excited as if I have just realized something because I love realizing that I'm wrong and I'm realizing that I'm wrong because 
if I have no solutions, I'm wrong. So I can campaign for this stance of free speech absolutism, which you can see from my chart, okay? You can see from my chart. Sorry for those who aren't looking. I'm trying to be mindful and remember that I need to <laughs> explain the difference. So the only difference, I think, between this cancel culture stance and this free speech absolutism the cancel culture stance and the free speech absolutism stance, stance, god damn it, is the justification for the preservation of the democratic ideal. To speak of this Harper's letter in particular, this is something that they said in the first paragraph, that they are pro-democracy, pro-liberalism, and in an effort to fight against the forces of illiberalism as represented by conservatives like Donald Trump and his administration, that is why they're campaigning for free speech, you know. Free speech absolutists also are fighting for the democratic ideal, an ideal that I find to be troubling and problematic in and of itself. But I think the thing that elevates the stance of the free speech absolutists above the people who are more pro-cancel culture is the justification for this preservation of the democratic ideal. Why do free speech absolutists fight so hard for the democratic ideal? Because they acknowledge that if we strip people of their individual rights, their liberal rights to speak as individuals, no matter if they are part of the minority or the majority, Majority, this creates way too much opportunity for authoritarian abuses. And this I find to be ideologically satisfactory. Of course, you want to safeguard yourself in any sort of political arena or even an academic arena. You want to safeguard yourself against the potential for authoritarian abuse. And this is why ultimately I do call myself a free speech absolutist because I know from experience and also from just what I observe around me, which is also my experience, shout out to Phenomenology Club, I also know that minority views are easily silenced in a democratic model. And a democratic model, I think, does work in public discourse to a certain extent. It works in the sense that it is good to have people's voices be heard, but why? I think ultimately one of the reasons why it is so good f to maintain an environment where everybody's individual voice can be heard because you want to also be witness to minority representations, to subversive takes, to takes that deviate from the norm and the general conformity of the narratives that is in many, in many ways a natural consequence of the format of democracy itself. Uh, do you hear me? Can I get an amen? God damn it. There's two things going on here. Well, there's really many things going on here. Like, it's interesting trying to tread this line of respecting the form, the format of democracy and democratic discourse. I think that that's a really good thing. But it's a good thing. Why? Because it prevents from authoritarian abuse and makes way for subversive takes. So I think this is part of my visceral discomfort with this new environment that I called yesterday to a, a thing that I find to be very conservative, regressive, Puritan feeling, even though I think that this is natural. I drew the analogy to a swarm of birds. I don't think there's any ethics necessarily underlying what we are witnessing i think that it's very natural that whatever take has the most 
popularity that will be the take that will be the narrative but we're witnessing ourselves going in circles and circles and essentially playing some sort of language game shout out Wittgenstein because we are only using this democratic venue this democratic format to formulate all of our arguments and as you can see from my beautiful fucking chart the democratic ideal is not useful when it comes to trying to establish some sort of ideological criteria for how best to make arguments. We want to maintain a sense, an environment of democracy, more so because we want to hear the takes that are more subversive, you know. But they, what is the strength of any individual take, you know? It can't simply be that the majority agrees with it. This will never work. Just because it's happening to work with certain demographics in this culture where, you know, people are rightfully being called under criticism for their racism, their sexism, their whatever, that's great. But it's a coincidence, you know? What do people say? A broken clock is right twice a day. I think we are witnessing something akin to this. It is a mere coincidence, a wonderful coincidence that we are witnessing so many people flock to narratives that many of us agree with on an ideological level but it's arbitrary and coincidental and if we don't establish for ourselves what we think the actual criteria should be for formulating strong ideological arguments we will absolutely backslide and already are backsliding and this is why you're seeing backlash backslide into this more conservative approach where the majority rules and no take is beholden to any sort of actual useful criteria the take that's the best is the take that gets the most popular uh popular <laughs> has the most people flock around it this is what we're witnessing you know it's working for some not working for others so what do we do because we know as phenomenologists and postmodern neo-marxists or whatever <laughs> whatever we know that truth is relative brah it's relative so like what like you're right and i'm right right like we're all right right like and that's part of what we're witnessing right like we're all right right <laughs> Like, what? But you get to be heard, I get to be heard. Isn't that great? No, no, that's terrible. Fuck. <laughs> and this is something that we need to, uh, we need to really, uh, outline and articulate. And this is something I'm not going to talk about at length here, but I did talk about at length a little bit in multiple uploads. Maybe my Against Spirituality upload the most where I was talking about David Hume and how David Hume talks about how all knowledge is empirical. Even the opinion that you find to be the most spiritual, the most personal, the most unique to you and relative, subjective to you, even this opinion is founded on empirical observations. Empirical science, empirical data simply means all knowledge that comes to us by way of what is observable even something like the sky is beautiful this is though though a, a natural scientist would not agree with this but from a philosophical understanding this too is an empirical observation it can't be proven empirically and this is why a natural scientist will stay away from these sorts of statements but it is empirical in proximity to you and to others you are observing the sky you are observing within yourself some feeling that you find the sky to be beautiful and you make the statement the sky is beautiful this is empirical in its own right you know not according to a certain standard but it is 
empirical. And what I said in the Again Spirituality upload and what I believe very strongly will help us navigate this current set of conditions where we are falling victim really to a hyper-liberal, hyper-democratic format. What can help us is meditating on this, you know. People always talk about objectivity. We need to have objective thought, blah, blah, blah. We know as phenomenologists, there is no such thing. There is no such thing as objectivity. But what there is, is a standard that we can create that tries to speak to something that we all experience. How does language work? How does science work? We speak only to the things that we can all access, you know? A statement like the sky is beautiful will never be taken up for by natural scientists, geologists, whatever, meteorologists. They will never take up for this sort of thing because they know that no two people, well, no large group of people will ever be able to be convinced by something like this. The sky is beautiful. It relies too much on individual experience. The sky is blue, however, is a statement that anybody who possesses the faculty of sight unimpaired, which is most people, they will be able to access this idea. And even the people who have impaired sight or no sight at all can also access this idea just through some sort of roundabout route, you know? And this is why we memorialize and concretize these kinds of concepts. The sky is blue, which is reached in the in, in an entirely identical fashion to the other statement, the sky is beautiful, the sky is gorgeous, the sky is blue, and the sky is beautiful were reached Using the exact same process, I observe something, I observe a plethora of things, then I internalize these affectations, and I make the resulting statement. Okay? But there's only one reason that we memorialize the statement, the sky is blue. Because people can relate to this idea much more easier. This is something we can all agree on. Because it has utility. There's a great utility to identifying different perceptions that we experience as humans to the uv frequency spectrum things like this there's a great utility and most people will agree with this and if you don't i mean you're very rare what we're trying to reach is not something objective because this doesn't exist what we're trying to reach is some sort of mutual agreement where can we all agree you know this is the criteria that we should be looking to if we want to establish some sort of system, some sort of format with which we can navigate culture, cultural climates like the one we're currently in. I don't think the stance of the pro-cancel culture people, even though they wouldn't call themselves this, you know what I'm saying? But rather the people who are opposed to the free speech absolutists. I don't think that either of these people really are entirely very different and both of them as far as i'm concerned are not really proposing a solution because like i said yesterday i kind of called myself into question like well what am i arguing for because i'm arguing about specific things that have to do with feminism these takes this that you know it's like what people are just going to then accept my ideas and then i will represent the majority and then what what about when uh some other majority rises this is not a useful format for discussion the most useful thing we can be doing as critical thinkers is thinking about what sort of criteria we can all relate to and agree on because that's what we must do we must reach agreements 
you must be willing to compromise as an individual too and concede that not everything you believe will be accepted by other people, you know? Not because you're wrong. Maybe you have the best idea. But if you want people to be convinced by that idea, then you need to give them a good argument for why. And a good argument for why can only speak to what we all have in common. So what what commonality exists between the processes that lead us to these opposing statements? The sky is blue. The sky is gorgeous. This is what we need to look at. The process. The process for reaching conclusions. We'll never have a shared conclusion if we don't agree on the process. And if we agree on the process, then we will always reach the same conclusion. Or at least we will be in the same general ballpark. And wouldn't that be amazing? And it would be so easy. Because like I'm saying, none of us think about things in dramatically different ways. We all use the same exact processes of empirical observation and rationalization to reach differing conclusions and where we are deviating harshly for e from each other is found in the process we need to fix the fucking process because this is what philosophy is can i get an amen philosophy is a process and this is why i do phenomenology club and don't speak a lot about specific thinkers even though i'm not incredibly well read but I, this is why i don't go on some long look at this page from David Hume thing, this and that, you know, because David Hume, while incredibly important, part of why he is so important is because he helped us transform our philosophies of philosophy itself. Philosophy is a tool. There is no conclusion to philosophy, which is part of the problem with philosophy. A lot of people historically treat it as if there's an answer. There's no answer. There's no end to philosophy. Philosophy is a process. Just as there's no end to natural science, what would be the end? That we figured everything out? I mean, yeah, maybe. Maybe we could figure out most everything, but I don't think it would end then. Things are always going to be happening. There will always be new circumstances arising. And as long as we're alive to witness it, we will always be trying to explain them. Where we feel one language is complete, we'll create a new one. And that will be science too. The, let, the number two, science two, and philosophy two, you know, there's no end. This is a process. So this is what we need to be looking at, okay? And you know how you can do it? By making charts. Look at this. Look at this. I feel just by sitting and making a chart, even not on Adderall, I feel like I've, I've had a breakthrough. Eureka! I love making charts. It makes everything so clear. We need to map out the process, Okay. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. I just had to hop on and say this because, yeah, I love feeling like I'm wrong. I don't know about you guys. This is something we should all get into personally, especially as it relates to this topic, cancel culture. People will just go so hard and try to find the way to make their viewpoint ultimately the correct one. But it's like there's so much freedom and satisfaction, in my opinion, in actually updating and transforming your take. And saying, actually, I was stupid five minutes ago. I got it now, you know. Instead of just arguing for this point and getting into semantics games. And uh, blah, blah, I try to transform it because my goal is to be right. And never wrong, actually. My goal is to be never wrong when you do this. But my goal is to be right. So if I want to be right, I need to acknowledge that maybe yesterday I was a fucking moron. And today I'm a fucking genius. Isn't that awesome? Anyway, thanks, guys. I'm going to get out of here. Please give me a thumbs up. This was short for once. I don't think I've really done a 30-minute upload in forever. I'm going to leave because it's great for me. I want people to actually listen to it. Give me a thumbs up.
I see you. I see you. You're in here. There's only two likes right now. You better get those likes up because I see you people. I would take questions, but I like leaving this at 30 minutes. I think that's really cool. Please type questions in the comments. No one ever leaves fucking comments. I'm going to turn the live chat off because your guys are always typing in there. I'm just kidding. I love your participation. I'm so thankful that you participate in there. But please leave comments. It makes me look good. Okay? I'm grifting. I'm a grifter. Leave me comments. If you think about these things afterwards, which I assume most of you do, I know a lot of you are probably, uh, you know, thinkers, you like to think, otherwise why the fuck would you be listening to this inane podcast, leave comments after the fact, come back a week later and say, you know what, I thought about this and what about that, and holy shit, I made a chart too, post it. Anyway, thanks guys, love you, stay safe, wash your fucking hands, uh, going back into Phenomenology Club, we're gonna shred with Jillian Michaels, uh, so meet me in there, and I'll talk to you all later. Goodbye.